He's a rehab doctor from Chicago. She's an emergency medicine doctor from the Twin Cities. Together, we're examining the health equity emergency. Inviting voices for change without the cue cards. I'm Dr. Carrie Haley. I'm Dr. Stephen Jackson. And And this this is Off the the Charts. Charts. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our show. Uh, we are very thankful to have Dr. Natalia Dorf Bitterman to our show today. She is uh, a Health Partners and Park Nicollet physician. Uh, more specifically, she is a hospitalist at Methodist Hospital, and she also serves as the chair of the Health Partners Clinician Wellbeing Task Force, and she's also the Clinical Documentation Integrity Medical Director. So, uh, Welcome, Dr. Dorf Bitterman. Thank you for having me today. Super excited for the conversation. You know, you carry a lot of hats, and Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to kind of get into some of that. But uh, just want to kind of know a little bit about your story. Who are you and where do you come (laughs) from? (laughs) Well, um, I typically say long story short, but it's never short. So (laughs) I was born in Uruguay and I lived there for 27 years. So with my family who is still there, I went uh, to medical school in Uruguay and then moved to Chile to do residency. And while I was doing residency, I met my husband who was living in Duluth at the time, but uh, is originally from Canada. (laughs) So uh, big north, south difference there. Except that he claims that we are midway, so we are not. (laughs) We were part of a uh, medical delegation. He was the medical director for the American delegation at a sports uh, meet for Jewish sportsmen from around the world, and I was the director for the Chilean delegation, the medical director for the Chilean delegation. And then we got married and moved to the U.S., I did my my recertification of all of my medical degree in Boston, mm-hmm. and <laughs> then we moved to Minnesota, where I did my residency at the University of Minnesota, second residency at the University of Minnesota, and then I started working at Methodist Hospital as a hospitalist more than a decade ago. So, so what you're saying is, on the second time around, you were the best intern ever. Um. Yes. Yes. How, yes. Why not? Yes. There were so Ever. many good residents there. It wasn't even close, though. I just feel it. That's awesome. And you know, we're going to really dive into. Uh, for those that are listening, we're going to dive into maybe one particular hat, one particular area of focus and leadership, and uh, that's basically you being the chair of the Health Partners uh, Clinician Wellbeing Task Force. Wellbeing, obviously, is very important. Uh, we've lived through a pandemic, kind of living through it. Uh, we've had a lot of, you know, some call it civil unrest, some call it the uprising, but we've had basically a lot of stuff going on, not only locally, but worldwide as it comes to, you know, the concept of racial injustice and equality mm-hmm. and equity. And, you know, though the battle was worth it, the battle was tiring <laughs> and maybe in a different way uh, these days. And so we're going to, you know, spend some time just really hearing from you and, you know, wanting to know um, where should our minds be and and how can we preserve what we bring to the table as physicians and as people in general. So 
Yeah. Well, thank you for the conversation. It's a really, really important conversation. And, you know, when we think about well-being, it's important that we think about well-being in relationship to burnout. There's a lot of conversation about, around burnout. Mm-hmm. And while burnout is a guiding post, is something that is being very well studied, we really like to focus on well-being, on an aspirational goal, much like the World Health Organization um, thinks of health not as just the absence of disease. We think of what we want from work, not as just the absence of burnout. Many organizations, mm. you know, mm-hmm. call it different things. Mm-hmm. Call it well-being, call it professional satisfaction, call it professional fulfillment. The Institute of Healthcare Improvement went even beyond and said the goal is joy in work. And why is that? Because when we do that, we're not only trying to squash or remove the friction, but we really try to elevate all the positive things that our healthcare professions bring to the table, all the meaning and purpose and joy and relationships. We Mm want to elevate that experience too. Mm -hmm. And so it's not, you know, when when I say, when we talk about there's a lot of emphasis right now in well-being and burnout. But it's not new. It's been going on for a very long time. The pandemic and the social unrest and the reckoning of, you know, our, the racial issues that our country um, and the world um, is experiencing really highlighted mm-hmm. some of these problems and really enhanced some of those that were in the past. But if we think of, of it in medical terms, it's more like an acute and chronic problem. It isn't. It, it didn't yes. start three years no. ago. That's right. We're we right? having right. an acute exacerbation. Exactly. Of, I like it. Of it. Exactly. It does. Exactly. And it's really important that, you know, that we're really paying attention to it because it really does have a significant Im- impact on our individuals, on our communities, on our patients, on our organizations. And so while, you know, we say that it's been going on for a while and we're paying attention now, it's really important that we are and we'll take it. I know like in some of the things that you've talked about in the past and even are really, it seems like a very advocate for is in that space of well-being, you know, the sense of the the concept of belonging. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that that's something that is incredibly hard to also put a finger on and define. But if you can take a stab at it, you know, what to you, what is belonging and how do we belong within an organization? How do we belong within our communities and within society? And like, how is that different or how is that the same? Yeah. So, you know, well-being, professional, you know, satisfaction, it really is a multi-pronged goal, um, burnout is a multi-pronged and very complex problem. Mm -hmm. And so this conversation really is going to double click into the issue of belonging, but I don't want anyone to think that we're equating well-being with belonging. You know, the important is that burnout in and of itself is something that um, is an issue that expresses itself in individuals, but is an environmental, mm-hmm. occupational syndrome. And so there are a lot of many things that impact well-being and burnout, and one of them being belonging. When we think about belonging is that sense of that you're part of a community, that you're accepted, respected, and valued by your peers, by the people that you surround yourself, whether it is in your community, in your family, in your place of work. And so the sense that you are comfortable 
and that people see you, the community around you, see you for who you are and value for who you are. And so historically, the interesting piece about this is that historically we've thought about belonging, specifically belonging at work, uh, in terms of comfort. So being comfort, the first piece, being valued and respected for who you are, feeling psychologically safe to bring your whole self to work. Mm -hmm. And now we're mm -hmm. thinking about belonging even beyond that, being from comfort to connection to contribution, really having those three pillars where you're valued, respected for who you are, where you connect meaningfully mm -hmm. with the people around you and with the mission and vision and values of the organization, the kind of work that you do, and contribution where you are accepted for your talents, where your gifts and special ways of doing things at work are valued and celebrated. So that yeah. is what we think mm -hmm. of when we think of belonging. And it's interesting because if you think about those three C's, you know, you can't really have the third one without the second one. You can't have the second one without the first one. So it's almost like there has to be some sort of emphasis primarily or at least at first on the comfort, you know. And when I say comfort, people that are listening, I'm not talking about complacency, but I'm talking about a sense of I feel OK being myself here. I don't have to code switch. I don't have to change my accent or change my clothes or change my hair to fit you know, I can be, I can be me. It's okay to be me. And now that I feel okay being me, now I feel okay connecting. And if I feel connected now, what's on the inside of me can come out, you know, my talents, my gifts, they can really be expressed, you know, which stands to reason if you have people that are not comfortable being who they are or who they need to be, then it's a detriment to the organization as a whole, because now you have talented people who refuse to use their talents because they don't feel connected, because mm -hmm. they don't feel comfortable. Absolutely. And so, you know, from- That was good. That was yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but it's absolutely true because we know that there's obviously an impact on the individual level, on the people who feel or don't feel belonging. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, some- some leaders or some people within an organization might think, why are we talking about, well, you know, about belonging in the workplace? Hmm. Because we know that it significantly impacts the organization too. We know from data Absolutely. that uh, you see when people feel like they belong, you see 56% increase in job performance. Mm -hmm. We see 50% reduction in turnover. And we see 75% decrease in sick days. And that there's a direct line to the outcomes of the organization. We see that organizations in which people feel like they belong, they have high rates of belonging. They are two times more likely to meet or exceed their financial goals. Two, three times more likely to be high-performing organizations, six times more likely to be innovative. And there's no question that, you know, feeling of belonging and that mm -hmm. you can yep. share your talents yeah, wherever absolutely. background you have, mm -hmm. that six times more likely to be innovative and agile, and eight times more likely to achieve their business outcomes. 
Yeah. And so while it, it definitely has impacts to the individual, mm-hmm. it significantly has impacts for the organization. So for those leaders listening to these to, to this conversation out there and thinking, why are we talking about belonging at work? It's mm-hmm. kind of a soft conversation. There's financial direct outcomes related to a conversation around belonging. Yes. I mean, if you you bring data to the table, you bring facts, you bring data to the table. This is kind of a downer question, but like, why do you think we still have such a problem with it then? Mm -hmm. Why do we, Mm -hmm. if we know things are better at individual level and the corporate, like the the organizational level, why do we still have such a problem with people feeling like they don't belong? Mm -hmm. I think, you know, the world has changed. To be honest with you, while this conversation is particularly important for people from marginalized backgrounds, it is also very important for, in general, our, you know, everybody in the world right now, specifically people in healthcare, the issue is that everything has changed. And so for those leaders who are thinking, you know, how do I make my team process or, you know, individuals really come to the table in a more holistic way, think that the way we do things, the way that things are now are radically different than when they were before. And so a lot of people are feeling like, wait, I don't know that I belong here. Do I belong here? Sure. Was it, is it because I have a mental health issue now? Because Am I the only one that has, you know, a mental health um, issue now? Is it because I'm a single parent and it's hard for me to deal with things? I think we're all reckoning with this idea that belonging is important. And Mm -hmm. the world is seeing work in a different way right now. Individuals are engaging with work in a different way. The workscape, like we call it, Mm -hmm. has changed. And what is it, you know, how... You know, what what kinds of organizations do we belong now? Mm -hmm. And so we internally, certainly at Health Partners, are doing a significant amount of work around that. And I'll tell you, I don't know about you guys, but I think the conversation has changed. And I think the structures that we put in, and just like this podcast, really opens up the conversation within, like we said, teams or people listening within the organization and certainly outside the organization to really open the conversation and weave it through and hardwire it through the organization. Yeah, there, there, my gosh, there are so many different directions to go with this conversation. I'm, I'm kind of giddy over here. <laughs> um, so, so I think about, and you know, as, as a leader, I, I get a sense that my team desires connection. Now it may not look the same for every person, but I believe that people are tired of business as usual, work as usual. The conversation has changed. The context has changed. The landscape has changed. And I think it takes, you know, a savvy person, whether leader or colleague, to recognize that clinician well-being is no longer optional. But this is something that's it's mandated. And I don't mean mandated from the top down, but it's it's imperative lest you burn out and leave the organization, leave healthcare go home and sit in the dark. You you know what I'm saying? And so I think at the end of the day, uh, having this conversation, it's a need. It's not a want. It's not a, yeah, we kind of should do this now, but it's it's a need because people are leaving organizations. Mm -hmm. People are leaving the healthcare field or education or a lot. They're leaving because they don't feel connected Mm -hmm. uh, because we didn't do step one, you know, the comfort 
you know, helping people to, to be themselves and, and feel themselves. I'll give you an example. And, you know, whether you go on social media or even you read it in books or magazines, the concept of what is professional. Mm-hmm. I'm going I'm yeah. to ruffle some feathers here, but, you know, why don't you dress professionally? Why don't you present yourself professionally? Well, what does that mean, though? You know, and, and who sets that standard? You know, is it a suit and tie? Well, that's traditionally what it has been, you know, being clean cut or having a nice fade. What about locks? Why can't I wear my locks? Mm-hmm. You know, why can't I wear, you know, or why can't, anyway, I, I won't go into the specifics of it, but the whole point is, you know, those very things can be the things that deter a person from joining an organization or remaining at an organization. Mm-hmm. And again, it takes a person who's willing to challenge that which is normal. We talk about that a lot on the podcast. Yes. Well, what is normal? We need to challenge what's normal uh, and break certain barriers so that we have people who are gifted and talented and willing to use those gifts and talents for the a hundred percent. So, I mean, I couldn't agree more. the The issue, you know, that you bring up is the issue of authenticity mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. identity. And you know, from personal experience, I have to say that I've you know grappled, much like probably both of you have you know grappled with those questions you know sure. for a while yeah. now, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And especially when we are you know as clinicians, and you know, one thing that we didn't mention that while we are speaking about you know clinician well-being right this minute is because we are clinicians, but really this expands to all of our healthcare workforce and mm-hmm. really anyone at work, you know, well-being at work, but you know, nurses and uh, dietitians mm-hmm. and physical therapists and pharmacists and, and beyond, mm-hmm. you know, grapple with the same issues too. And when, you know, some of us who come from diverse backgrounds, you know, like a Latina coming into a leadership position and with our my own cultural background, I had to do a lot of work around how do you show, how do I show up authentically, knowing that I am not of the normative or the dominant culture. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, I, yeah. you know, I, I had some feedback around different things. And, you know, I even for quite some time, I worked with one of our previous HR business partners who also comes from a diverse background and really trying to understand how does it mean to lead authentically in an organization. And the interesting piece about this, one of the things that I learned is that authenticity doesn't have to look one way. Hmm. And so, it doesn't mean awesome. what we're talking yeah, about like doesn't mean that I'm going to be the same here at work that I'm going to be at the bar with my friends shooting pool or at home, you know, engaging with my children or my husband. And I can find the way to be authentically myself with my background and with my differences mm-hmm. and with my gifts that I bring with, not in spite of them, but I can find a way to be authentic with that in because of that mm-hmm. at work. That's good. I feel like saying amen. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I like, That's yes, good. Yes, preach. You know, I think that <laughs> we could go so long with this conversation. <laughs> oh There's gosh. so many things. But since I asked a very negative question, I feel like last time. So let's maybe <laughs> go for the positive. Like, where do you see things going in, in, the, in the realm of wellness and burnout and you know we i feel like we've at least moved on behind the you know like mandatory resiliency training like we've made a step beyond that at least Mm -hmm. but like what is the next step what is Mm -hmm. the next thing coming or what should we be looking for what should we be doing within ourselves and within our peer groups to help kind of 
further things and better better the organization, better our own workplace. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I always like to remind every single individual that I meet in this conversation or teams or leaders, but specifically frontline clinicians and frontline healthcare workforce professionals, is that remember that you have agency in your life, in your experience. While obviously this is an organizational priority right now, it's felt that it's not um, um, a uh, nice to have, but a need to have. Things don't have to only come from leadership. We can look at our experience at work, find what's working, find what's not, tweak it, and take responsibility for some of those things. For example, comfort, connection, and contribution. contribution, Right? We can (laughs) find in ourselves a way to feel more seen, more respected. Do we feel like we have a voice? Can I you know, share my opinions. I want to test. I'm going to share my opinions. We are listening. Can I connect with, can we connect with one another? We know that connection, community, camaraderie Mm -hmm. is a foundation to sustain the very stressful jobs that we have, that we will have forever. We work, you know, in healthcare. And so can I individually reach out for meaningful connection, either with my peers, with my leaders, with my team and then contribution do i feel like i am contributing with my gifts and with my talents that i really um, think that i can contribute with to my organization so individually we we can do that and so when we start paying attention we can do that as an organization we understand that we need to change the environment in which our healthcare workforce our clinicians are working in and so we're you know you'll see more and more coming through but that's what we're doing and i think the world is hearing the world is listening the world is changing mm-hmm. and there's a future that we can all contribute to and that's a very important thing engaging with this work understanding that we have a voice and that we can do things and reclaiming that agency and innovating what needs to come next. I think that's that's where we're at now. Uh, I, I think restoring joy in work, again, not, not only is a, a just a desire, it's a need. If I calculated it, I probably spend most of my awake hours at work. Mm-hmm. You know, because at home, you know, you go home, you might hang for a little bit, but then I'm in the bed, like I'm asleep <laughs> because I have to come back to work. You know, uh, so if that's the case, we might as well optimize our work environment in such a way where work doesn't just feel like work. Maybe it feels like an uh, an opportunity uh, to utilize, you know, my gifts uh, to, you know, take full advantage of the gifts and talents that are around me. You know, one question I, I, I wanted to know really is uh, as we as we think about next steps, you know, is, is there a balance between, you know, taking care of ourselves as clinicians, but also not forgetting about the people that we serve. I always think about, you know, the the airplane, you know, don't give oxygen to someone else without first giving it to yourself kind of thing. And can you speak on that, you know, briefly, you know, what what is that balance and how do we make sure that it's balanced, you know, appropriately so we're accomplishing what we're trying to accomplish? Absolutely. You know, in medicine, in healthcare, there's so much meaning and purpose in what we do that really elevating that experience and bringing that back is really at the bedside. 
And so going from this transactional way in which we engage, that the healthcare system has made it so that we are changing into a transactional environment, really honing in into that relational way in which we went into medicine, right? Like how do we elevate that experience where Mm -hmm. we can give to ourselves by giving, this is what we are in. This is what, you know, the kind of industry that we went into, nurses, pharmacists, clinicians, even you know, nursing assistants or transport people are engaging with patients when they are mm-hmm. moving them from mm-hmm. uh, point A That's to right. point B. You, you should, you know, like we see the transport people talking and telling stories to the patients. This is what we are here for. And so while it's true that there's a lot that um, healthcare takes from us because it takes a lot of energy, when we lean into that relationship, it is a way in which we can do our work, our jobs of taking care of someone else while also taking care of ourselves. Thank you. We got to have you back. We're so appreciative of your time. Um, I feel like I, I've learned a lot. And, uh, you know, this topic today, is it's for today and it's for our, our future as well. This is a, This is a need, not only a want. And so thank you for, for educating us and spending time with us today. And I, I have to, like I said before we even started, I have to thank you because I do think that what we're doing here today really makes a difference. It weaves a conversation throughout our organization and beyond that needs to be had. And by doing that, we really empower people to be thinking for themselves about these things, to be thinking for the teens that they are leading, mm-hmm. and we change lives. It does change lives. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Off the Charts is a production of Health Partners and Park Nicollet. It is recorded by Jimmy Bellamy with creative by Peggy Arnson, Tina Long, Tim Myers, and Jeff Jondal. Production services provided by Matriarch Digital Media. Our theme music is by Ryan Ike.